I think, over the years, without even realizing it, we can get so familiar with anything, even God, unfortunately, but especially the Lord's Supper, that we can really lose the value of it. If we don't understand the thing, can we possibly understand the value of it? Just to think about how the Native American Indians walked over gold for centuries and had no understanding of just how valuable it was until the settlers came. At one time, it was all over the place. Sometimes that can happen to our spiritual life when we don't realize the value, the intrinsic value of the Lord's Supper and what it stands for. And how each Christian has to value it in his heart. We have to set apart our heart to value that which God's value, but specifically the Lord's Supper, so that it never falls into some kind of rote, automatic, mechanical uh, partaking of a piece of bread and some grape juice. That it never falls onto shallow, superficial ground in our heart, that we guard our hearts and we guard our minds from ever allowing this wonderful ritual, this wonderful sacrament that God himself has instituted and paid for to fall to the ground. That's the challenge I laid before all of us today as I speak about this over the weeks to come and that it, 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 it takes a place, and I want to use that Phrase that the Lord's Supper takes a special place within our hearts and our minds. Amen? Amen. So that's the point we're trying to get across here. Uh, so let me explain it more in its, its technical sense as we go along. It'll be self-explanatory. The Lord's Supper is defined as a sacrament that Christ instituted along with baptism. These are two sacraments that define uh, the religious rites of Christianity. There's baptism and there's communion. They're the only two uh, sacraments Christ has instituted. A sacrament is a means of divine grace, a divine enabling, and it's also an outward sign of a spiritual reality. Let's remember that. It's an outward sign of a deeper spiritual reality. Baptism is the official initiation into the family of God. It's where a sinner turns away from all known sin. That's what's called repentance. And, and, and they embrace Christ as the Savior. It is, it is an exercise of the intellect. It's an exercise of the emotion. It's an exercise of the will to say, I am a sinner. I'm turning away from, the, I'm turning away from sin. I am embracing Christ Not just as my savior, but as my life. I'll explain that as we go along. Not as, oh, I'll put Jesus on the shelf as my savior, and I'll go along with my life. Oh, hang on as we go through this today. But that's what baptism is. And the Lord's Supper is following this initiation into the family of God, which is water baptism, and we, we believe in the adult water baptism. We believe that someone is, comes of age and says, 
I recognize I need Christ in my life. I, I, Christ is the Savior. I need him to be my Savior. That can happen when you're 8. It can happen when you're 10. It can happen when you're 6. So on and so on and so forth. But it has to be a conscious, self-proclaimed, personal experience with Christ. And that's the initiation. And, 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 and to come into the family of God. Following this initiation into the family is communion. That's the second sacrament that Christ has given us. Baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all, the, all I have commanded you. But with this comes communion, which we read tonight. And this is something, listen, it's a sign of faithful continuance, faithful continuance in the family of God with this highlight with a clean conscience. And what that means is that we're in full agreement. When I take the body and the blood, I'm in full agreement with what I agreed with when I was water baptized. Nothing's changed. When I'm water baptized, when you're water baptized, I'm saying I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I need the family of God in my life. And, and, And I got this high standard of baptism. But why does the Lord's Supper sort of drop in our value? Why do we come in and the baptism is something that's exciting? I mean, I was excited when I was water baptized at 32 years old. I know everybody I've water baptized, and me and John and Pat, we know from this church that people are excited. I've seen things happen in people's lives. I know the testimonies of what happens when people are water baptized. But what happens with the Lord's Supper? It's been devalued, devalued, because I believe culture, and I'll speak about that. We need to be careful of it because it is a continuing sign of faithful commitment to Christ. With a clean conscience, it means that everything I said yes to when I was water baptized, I say yes to when I eat the body and the blood. When I was water baptized, I gave up sin. I gave up living in sin. I gave up drunkenness. I gave up immorality. I gave up... Because it was sin and I was known sin. I wasn't going to get water baptized with this in my life. I gave it up. I followed Christ. But why do I continue to eat the body and the blood with things I'm doing? I wouldn't have done that when I was water baptized. But why do I do it now? How does this creep in? We need to guard the sacraments. As a ministry, we need to throw our life on the sacraments like we would water baptism. We need to fight to keep the value and the purity and the power in the the Lord's Supper. So following this initiation into the family is communion as a sign of faithful continuance in the family with a clean conscience. I'm still following that which I follow when I agreed to my baptism. That means there's a full agreement with the baptismal teaching. Before I move on to what it is, let me take some time to teach on what it is not. It's important to understand what this, what communion is not. It is not the funny noise we just heard in the back right here. We have to make a joke. It's okay. I'm the pastor. I can make a joke. Transubstantiation. If you're not familiar with the teaching, it's the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation, and it's the, the literal changing of the 
of the elements into the actual body and blood of Christ. Where the wine or the grape juice or the bread are not bread anymore, or it's not wine or grape juice anymore. It's actually the blood of Christ. And it's actually the body of Christ. The word actually means to change altogether into another substance. Transubstantiation. Uh, it, it's very difficult to, to find scripture to back this up. Within Roman Catholicism, uh, they believe that they take it literally in John chapter 6 where Jesus says, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. I'm not here to uh, refute that whole teaching, but it's, we understand it more simply as uh, very metaphorical. Jesus always used symbols, especially in the book of John. He says, I'm the door. He says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the, I'm the small gate. I'm the narrow road. I'm, I'm the well of living water. I'm the bread. He, he consistently says this throughout his ministry, describing himself in a sort of synonymous way with something else to describe something about himself and something about his ministry. And that's what we see clearly in when the body and the blood of the Lord, we see it, and I'll explain where our stance is on that. But that's the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation. It's, uh, Webster defines it as this. The miraculous change by which, according to Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox dogma, the, Eucharist, the Eucharistic elements at their consecration become the actual body and blood of Christ while keeping only appearance of bread and wine. The next one is consubstantiation, and this is what Martin Luther taught. As he broke away in the Protestant Reformation from the Roman Catholic Church, he, he sort of took this view of uh, transubstantiation with him a little bit. He changed it a little bit, and his was that the bread was still bread and the, the wine was still wine, but within there was also the element of Christ's blood and and Christ's body. It's very hard to wrap around really what it means. Uh, but it means it's, it's, it's not imaginary, it's real, you just can't see it. Very difficult to, and he's a great man, Martin Luther is just a wonderful theologian, he was a wonderful man of God, uh, but we can't agree with consubstantiation. Very, very tough. Another view today is more of a modern view, and it's really what most people believe in, and, and this is called the memorial view. Advocates believe that when Jesus said, this is my body, he meant this represents my body. I want you to follow along, because this is probably where most people in this room probably lean towards, you don't even realize it. So I'll say it again. Most people in this room are probably leaning towards this, unless you've been truly taught properly towards this, and you don't even realize it. Most denominations believe this. Most uh, independent small churches like ourselves would believe this. Uh, most uh, Pentecostal, if you come from a Pentecostal background, they will teach this if they teach it at all. But this is what it means. Uh, the memorial view is, this is my body is meant, this represents my body. In other words, they understand this statement is completely and absolutely metaphorical. That is not our view here. At Sonship Ministries, we adhere to a more reformed position as taught by Calvin and other reformers. That the risen Christ in the, is in the ceremony in a very special and very real way. I'll explain that. He ordained it. 
So Christ has to be in it. Amen? And Paul teaches, and I'll speak about this in a couple of weeks in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says that God presides over the Lord's Supper. That if someone's taken it in an unworthy manner, God will judge them. That's special. God is in the sacrament. You can rest assured. But how? And we'll go into this. So it's important for us. The most important thing is this is what we believe here. So when we partake of the body and the blood, we start getting an understanding of what it means. But let me start explaining what we believe uh, the Lord's Supper is. I'll quote a theologian from the Reformed faith. His name is William Shedd, and this is what he says. Communion, quote, is a means of grace. Dependent like other means of grace upon the accompanying operation of the Holy Spirit and the consequent faith of the soul of the recipient. When he says the other means of grace, means of grace is what some theologians call the ordinary means of grace. God wants to strengthen, teach, and edify his church. Amen? Well, how does he do that? Well, that's the means of grace. Preaching is a means of grace. When we sit there and proclaim the promises of the gospel, In a clear and articulate manner, the Holy Spirit strengthens us. We sung, it is what? With? Did that not comfort you? Who in this room did not need to hear that? I certainly did. That's a means of grace. Praise is a means of grace. Prayer, individual prayer and communion with God is a means of grace. Praying for one another is a means of grace. Confession is a means of grace. Repentance is a means of grace. Fellowship, where we're all using our different gifts and talents and our love for Christ and our love for one another, is means of grace. That's how God strengthens us. Listen to John Calvin. Quote, All the energy of operation belongs to the Spirit. And the sacraments are mere instruments which without His agency are vain and useless, but with it are fraught with surprising efficacy. Whereas the first two positions rely more, now I want you to listen to this, where the first two positions rely more on the actual elements for their power. Of course, after the priest has performed their task of consecrating it to the Lord. The reform position teaches incorrectly, this is important, on the Holy Spirit, along with the spiritual condition of the recipient, constitutes the power in the Lord's Supper. I don't want you to miss this, this is very important. The reform position teaches correctly, it's the Holy Spirit, along with the spiritual condition of how we come to the Lord's table, that's where the power lies in the ceremony. It's not in the elements. Listen to Calvin again, I quote. The office of the sacraments is precisely the same as that of the preaching of the word of God, which is to offer and present Christ to us, and in him are the treasures of the heavenly grace. But they confer no advantage or profit without being received by faith. I'll explain that later. Augustine says, quote, The sacraments are a visible word. 
because it represents the promises of God portrayed as in a picture and places before our eyes an image of them. Another reformer says, gospel truth is taught by both alike. Both alike are employed by the Holy Spirit in enlightening, strengthening, and comforting the mind of the believer. When he says both, that means preaching and the sacraments. They're the same. Sacraments come with an explanation. That's the important part here. Calvin goes on to say, God nourishes our faith in a spiritual manner by the sacraments, which are instituted for the purpose of placing his promises before our eyes for our contemplation and of serving as a pledge of them. The sacraments are meant to be thought through, pondered upon, reflected on. Listen to Calvin again. Quote, connected with the preaching of the gospel, another assistance and support to our faith is afforded to us in the sacraments. He goes on to say, there is no true administration of the sacrament without the preaching of the word. For whatever advantage accrues to us from the sacred supper requires the preaching of the word. Whether we are to be confirmed in faith, exercised to confession, or excited to serve, there is a need of preaching. Nothing more preposterous, therefore, can be done without respect to the supper than to convert it into a mute action. We can see from these few short excerpts the strong insight and reason that the reformers had on the subject. They put, now I want you here, they put the proper emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and on the spiritual condition of the believer. One more time, we'll listen to Calvin on this matter. The person who supposes that the sacraments confer any more upon him than that which is offered by the word of God and which is received by true faith is greatly deceived. Hence also it may be concluded that confidence of salvation does not depend on the participation in the sacrament, as though that constituted our justification which we know is placed solely in Christ Jesus alone and is to be communicated to us by no less than preaching of the word of God than it comes by to try to sealing of it with the sacraments and that it may be completely enjoyed without participation. Calvin elevates proper faith here by teaching the priority of preaching and the hearing of faith dynamic. I don't want you to miss this. This separates True faith from superstition. Right now, what I'm going to tell you. Please understand it. The Bible puts forth a principle where all of the spiritual power comes from. It's hearing with faith. It's faithful preaching of the word of God, the gospel, and hearing with faith. That's the preaching, hearing, faith dynamic. That is the heart of true spirituality. This goes over against the superstitions that we believe Roman Roman Catholicism teaches along with Lutheranism because just taking and participating in the Lord's Supper, we concur no blessing whatsoever. There's no blessing in the element. No unbeliever can just go up and take it and receive eternal life. No unbeliever can just take it and receive 
forgiveness of their sins. No eternal, no, no one non-believer could take and have healing in their body. It's not there at all. There's nothing in the element that has to be, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by those who are exercising faith in Christ, for without faith it's what? Impossible to please God. As a matter of fact, not just there's no forgiveness and there's no salvation, on the contrary, Paul warns against such an attitude. He says that some were eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. God, God's the sacraments in our inner attitudes. Very serious. True and pure faith always produces right results. Whether it is true confession which leads to repentance, a genuine gratitude which leads to love, or the right attitude at the communion table. The reason for all this, after all, the Lord's Supper is a symbol And the symbol is defined as to teach a certain truth by a visible sign or token. The power is in the truth of the message it signifies. It is not in the symbol itself. So the blessing that's attached to the Lord's Supper is in the significance of what Jesus taught. That's where the power is. And for us to articulate it and teach it and to explain it week in, month in, year in, year out. Superstition gets caught up in the act of taking it or even in the element itself. That's superstition. As though either the act or the element has some kind of spiritual benefit. This is wrong. All spiritual power moves on the principle of hearing with faith. That is where all spiritual power lies of hearing the truth by saving faith in conjunction with all God's promises that are presented clearly in the gospel. And the gospel is to be taught, it's to be preached, it's to be explained in an articulate manner as to even make the simple wise unto salvation. Everything God ordains needs to be explained. Everything God ordains needs to be explained in an articulate manner so God's children can feast on the promises of God. Superstition, just believing that there's some kind of power in there and just following the crowd because the crowd is taking the elements and thinking that I'm doing something for God could actually be eating and drinking judgment onto yourself. Very serious. There is such a low view in the American church. There's such a low view. People need to be taught and, and, and possibly the church is at fault. The church needs to take a stand on the Lord's Supper. And so we're explaining our position and we'll be teaching on it for a little while. So we believe that the sacraments are symbolic with a real blessing. This is where we stand here. We believe that the sacraments are symbolic, but with a real blessing associated because of faith and the Holy Spirit and, God, and Jesus Christ's command to do this in remembrance of him. Our concern for sonship is that all involved here would understand what the sacraments are. Because over time, and because of cultural Christianity, and without proper teaching, many have lost the biblical view. And when you lose the biblical view, you lose the biblical power. There's no power to it. There's no understanding. 
There has to be the exercise of faith that comes by hearing the word of God and in a clear and articulate way and that, and that stirs up faith and, and by faith, with the arms of faith, we reach out and we hold on to Christ. Whether I'm in dire need of forgiveness, I reach out and I have forgiveness. If I need hope, I reach out to the hope of God. If I need the presence of God, I reach out. If I need joy, the joy is there. Faith is the dynamic. Hearing with faith is true and biblical. Christianity. Of this wonderful sacrament, along with baptism, the church has lost its view. It has a very low view. The sacred supper, as Calvin calls it, has been devalued over time and it's lost its power. Let me, this is what I have to say about this. What we're going to do today should be the best sermon you hear all that all year. Not, not what I'm saying. That, as I point to the elements, is our best sermon. Because everything else done in Christendom, everything else done in the name of God could only come to pass because Christ has shed his blood once and for all. Our sins are forgiven, period. That is man's greatest need. If that need is not met, there's no need for spirituality. If that need is not met, there's no need for God. If God's not meeting our greatest need, there is no need. Everything we do all year in our Christian life points to the broken body and the shed blood. Everything. All of the ministry goes to inform in a greater understanding of this fellowship event. Please understand something. When Christ is instituting the Lord's Supper, it's a fellowship event. It's not just an event. Jesus is not pontificating on top of Mount Sinai or on, a, on, on top of the Mount of Olives. He's, he's, he's down. In John 13, he's washing the disciples' feet. It's all going on at the same time. He gets up off the table. He says that someone's going to betray me. Peter says, not me. He says, you're going to deny me. Judas leaves. They're fighting amongst themselves. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus saying, no, don't you understand? The student is not greater than the master. I have loved you. You ought to love one another. I've washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. Blessed are you if you know these things and you do them. It's all going on at the same time. The Lord's Supper is all going on at the same time with everything I just said. It was probably one of the most tension-filled meals ever eaten on planet Earth. Was the Last Supper. Tension. Christ has been teaching that he's going to Jerusalem. He's only hours away of being betrayed by Judas. He's actually taken the sop, Judas' bread, and he's handed it to him. And he's looking him right in the eye. He says, what you plan to do, go do. And Satan filled his heart. This is all taking place at the Lord's Supper. It's a fellowship event. Everything Christ stood for is going on at the Lord's table. 
a new commandment I give to you. It's the only commandment. Love one another. That was the Lord's table. We're so far gone from the essence of communion. We've truly lost our sight when it comes to communion. Individually, corporately, we've lost our sight. This was a fellowship meal. And not just any fellowship meal. It's where all those Christ suffered for come together to exercise. Don't miss this. The end to which Christ chose to suffer and die. Namely, to fellowship as a new family of God, the redeemed, the bride of Christ, the chosen, the elect. Do you know that everything God has been doing since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, everything he's been doing is to bring us together, as Revelation 19 says, says this, blessed is everyone who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you are saved, that's your inheritance. That's your future. That's where you're going. That's eternity. Everything God did from the moment he stepped into the garden was to secure that end. It's all a means to an end. And the end is blessed to everyone who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Please understand that. The Lord's Supper is a down payment of this great and marvelous time. Jesus says it another way. He says it in verse 29. I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ. Let's go to our text. Verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Somewhere in the middle of this supper, Christ stands up and he interrupts the meal to take bread and begins to break it and distribute it to each personally. It's signifying personal faith in him. He qualifies and defines what saving faith is. And I will speak about that. We believe, oh, I believe in Jesus. I have to say amen. We water baptize people on their confession of faith. But Jesus knows who really believes. Faith is not some kind of empty Words, I believe in Jesus. Faith is like eating Christ, being consumed with Christ. He qualifies what saving faith is. It is within this Passover celebration as God's victory over Pharaoh with the tenth plague of the death of the firstborn of Egypt, the deliverance from Egypt and the, uh, the adjoining covenant that he made with them at Mount Sinai, and the validation of that covenant by the sprinkling of animal blood on all the people. Jesus probably stands up and breaks this 
and gives thanks to God as he establishes the new covenant that's spoken about in Jeremiah 31, 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God, they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one say to his neighbor, Brother, you shall know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. In the breaking of bread, in the giving of the bread, in the giving of thanks, I should say, Jesus teaches two things. His body, like the bread, would be broken and his disciples would need to partake of him personally by faith. He qualifies faith as eating and consuming his very person onto eternal life. No superficial faith would ever make it into heaven. Understand that. Without works, our faith is dead. It is dead. It speaks of a daily need for Christ. Not I needed Christ that Sunday when I got all convicted and confused and I said, Jesus, be my Lord. And, and I, I, I ran with him for a little while, but the cares of the world, the desire for other things and the desire for riches came in and choked out the word. No, that faith doesn't work. A fake believer, or I should say a deceived sinner, I don't like to use a fake believer, a deceived sinner who thinks they're saved, for a long time, can be characterized by certain fruits of the Spirit. They can love, they can be joyful, they can have this and they can have that. They can have a peace and they can have a settled heart and they, and they can do good works and they can be part of a church and they can be baptized, but there's one thing they cannot do. They cannot preserve to the end. It's impossible. Cannot. Sooner or later, they got to quit. He qualifies what faith is. If you remember the story in Exodus, the Pascal lamb, they had to consume the whole thing. Leave nothing till the morning. Eat everything. That's a description of what saving faith in Messiah is. We consume Christ with our whole soul. This is what Jesus means in John chapter 6 when he says, you must eat of my body and you must drink of my blood. You must be consumed with me more than anything else in the world. The second thing Jesus is saying here, Jesus was linking his sacrifice with redemption history when he instituted the rite of the Passover meal. The Israelites associated their redemption from Egypt with the eating of the Passover meal. Now Jesus' disciples were to associate their personal redemption with Christ's death, symbolized in a similar meal. Verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. 
A little later in the meal, probably at the Passover, they drank four cups of wine and they would pass it around. It was the third cup that was called the cup of blessing. And this is probably what Christ is doing. He's probably at the third cup and, he's, and he stands up and he gives thanks. And, and, he, and he uses that as a symbol that this is, the time has come. The time has come for that new covenant that Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke about. It's going to come and it's going to come as a price. I am that price. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, is what he is saying here. And they are personally called to drink of the wine, like the bread, in order to see the significance and the depth of what personal saving faith in Christ is. Now you would say, understand that something what's going to happen in just a short period of time. They're all going to run for the hills because they don't want to be associated with Christ. To be associated with Christ is sure death. But Christ is saying, if you want eternal life, you've got to be so associated with me. It's like you were feasting on me and the world could see it. Someone sent me something the other day in an email or a text, I forget, and they said, if they were arresting Christians for their faith, would there be enough evidence against you? I don't know, I've never heard that, or maybe you've heard that. I thought that was quite interesting. Would the government or any group of people find enough evidence that declares we are Christian, besides that we say we are? Does our life reflect Christianity? Interesting. That's the kind of faith that Jesus Christ is talking about. Together, these elements represent Jesus Christ himself and his life and death and his resurrection. Verse 28. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Though there are many blessings, and understand this, there are many blessings associated with the new covenant. Jesus calls attention to the most significant two. Forgiveness of sins, once and for all, never to be repeated, a sure and certain salvation. Jeremiah says it like this. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. As I said before, this is man's greatest need. If this need is not met, God can supply nothing else. This is what we need the most. That's why he is the bread of life. He's a river of living water. And the second thing he says is poured out for many, pointing to the inclusion of the Gentiles. Verse 29, I tell you, I'll not drink again this fruit of the vine until uh, that day when I drink it anew with you in, this, in my Father's kingdom. In this verse, Jesus is pointing to the fact that a long-awaited-for consummation of God's plan of redemption for Israel is now in its last stage. You know what he was saying? He was saying this, that if you knew Christ was coming tomorrow, what would that mean to you? That's what it meant to the Jew. When he said that, they knew that all the promises to Israel and all the promises to the Gentiles, all the promises of the Old Testament were now commencing. But they didn't know that to to the Lord a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is to the day. But in their heart, That's why when they preached, they preached in such a way that they thought Christ was coming back at any moment because of this. Unfortunately, we don't live like that, but we should. 
And though it is not spoken about here, the only thing left is Christ coming in power as King and Lord. What's only necessary for now, he gives to them. And that's this. Salvation and final victory is sure and certain. Let's talk about some application. To be sure, the disciples had no real understanding at this time. Please understand that. There were words that had some kind of religious affiliation, but they had no deep insight. They weren't born again. Their many questions they asked throughout their three years of ministry shows that they were still naive and children in the faith. They had no real understanding. Christ knew that, but Christ gave them the truth, knowing that their eyes would be opened up one day when he breathed into them the Holy Spirit, and he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, and they saw the risen Christ. And then they began to understand the significance later on of all that Jesus taught them. Please understand something. How many times did you hear something over and over again, but after your fifth year of salvation or your tenth year of salvation or twentieth year of salvation, you finally say, oh my goodness, man. Now I see it. Now I really do see that God gave them over to the lust of their flesh. I understand Romans chapter 1 now. I understand it. I didn't understand that in two years. I didn't understand that in 10 years. But at 22 years, I can see the world in light of what the scripture says, and the scriptures are right on spot. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, here's our application. It should be a time of deep reflection. and even a deeper humility for all of us. And this is what we to reflect on. What's the reality of our commitment to Christ? What's the depth of our commitment? Is there enough evidence against us in a court of law if there were Sending Christians away? Don't we need to ask for more strength in our personal Christian commitments? Can we see as we go through this how we've devalued the sacraments? Haven't we just sort of lost just how powerful this is the greatest sermon? Without this, we don't exist. And I'll be speaking about this in a couple of weeks about what it means to remember. Paul teaches us to remember what Christ has done. We're going to take communion today. And I want to take it the way Jesus instituted it. He he fellowshiped with them. John the Apostle was on his breast. If you ever see the picture of the Last Supper, it's wonderful. They're all leaning on each other. You know? I mean, it's, it looks really great, but that's what it was. It was a, a love feast, it's called. It's called the Agape Meal in Jude. A love feast. It, the people got together and they, they loved one another. It was a Passover meal. It was identifying themselves with God and the work of God. And what I'm going to ask to do, if, uh, after just a moment of reflection, I'm going to ask people to come up and, and we're going to gather around the best we can. If you can't get up and just raise your hand, we'll bring the elements to you. But let's gather like a family, because that's what we are. And we are going to spend eternity together. If you are a Christian, you will be spending eternity with the people next to you. And if we're going to take the Lord's Supper, let's take it the way God instituted it, as a meal. So what I'm going to do is just give time for people to reflect and 
you know, and maybe you can get to get right with God or something. Don't micromanage. Don't micromanage. We, we all need to be forgiven or something. But, you know, if you're not a Christian and you know your heart, you're not a Christian. And you really can't say, Brian, I know I'm born again. I love Christ. If you can't say that, then I'll ask you not to participate. And wait for a time where you can do that. But if you are a Christian, please come up and participate as a family of God today. Maybe it's the first time for some of us doing this. It is the first time for me. I've always sat there, and that's it. You know. But you know something? We want to move from that a little bit and just really capture the moment of the essence of the Lord's Supper as we gather in remembrance of what he's done for us and that he not just died for individually, he died for us personally, for all the many, he says. So let's take a moment, and then we're going to come together, and I'll call the people up. Me and John will hand out the elements, and, uh, and then we'll wait together, and we'll participate together. Can we do that? Let's just take a moment now and reflect on that, and then I'll, then I'll call these up. Just reflect on the sermon for a moment. Lord, we just thank you for the not just the responsibility, Father God, but the privilege of feasting on your Son by faith.